0: Wdeo WDEO.net
1: Christian in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
2: Casting from the
3: studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon.
4: Well, good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Glad to be with you. We've got two hours in which we're going to talk about some of the things that matter most. For instance, we're going to meet Venerable Nelson Baker. Now, this is a new name to me. Uh, he was born February 16th of 1842, and at the time of his death, uh, this area was known as a city of charity near Buffalo. It had a home for unwed mothers, a boys' orphanages, a hospital, and, and more. So, Monsignor David Lapuma will be joining us to share the story of Our Lady of Victory Shrine near Buffalo, uh, thanks to the remarkable work of the Venerable uh, Nelson Baker. So we'll get to know him. Also coming up, uh, I'm going to spend some time, uh, Peggy's not with me uh, for our weekly look at this Sunday's Gospel reading. I'm going to take some time to share with you some thoughts on John chapter 4, and in particular, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. Also coming up, Nate Wine will be joining us, for corporate travel. Listen to me carefully here. The National Eucharistic Congress is coming up fast, and dioceses in Michigan are offering special packages. But here, listen to this. You need to fill them out by March 25th. So this is important because um, if you don't get in, the prices are going to shoot up. Nate's going to join us on details, how you can participate in the National Eucharistic Congress. So I have to say, I'm surprised it's coming up this fast, but it is. So that's coming up uh, on today's program. And we're also going to be joined in the second hour by Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EW10 News. There are a number of fascinating stories uh, that are flourishing out there, people really enjoying them, growing through them, and in some cases being frustrated by them. Uh, We're going to talk about some of those stories that are important around uh, the Catholic world. So all that's coming up on today's Crest in the
2: Afternoon. First, let's get to today's headlines with Dan McGrath. Thank you, Al, and good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria radio news for Thursday, February 29th. It's the Feast of Pope St. Hilary, And today's news is brought to you by the Ave Maria Family of Funds at AveMariaFunds.com. Their paths won't cross, but both President Biden and former President Trump are visiting the U.S.-Mexico border today. Biden will meet with Border Patrol agents and local leaders in Brownsville, Texas, while Trump is scheduled to speak in Eagle Pass, Texas. Biden is also calling for Republicans to vote to pass a bipartisan border security deal. Russian President Vladimir Putin says the West sending troops to Ukraine may lead to nuclear war. In his annual State of the Nation address, Putin said Moscow has the weaponry to hit Western targets if they send their own troops to defend Ukraine. But he said claims that Russia will attack Europe are nonsense. President Biden says negotiations are ongoing for a temporary ceasefire in Gaza, but will likely take longer than he hoped. As he was leaving for Texas today, the president told reporters it's doubtful it'll happen by Monday. The president earlier this week said a ceasefire could come by next week. One person has died as a result of wildfires in Texas. The Smokehouse Creek fire has burned over 1 million acres in the Texas panhandle and is only 3% contained. It is now the largest in the state's history. And the latest inflation report shows it rose in line with expectations last month. The Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, excluding food and energy costs, increased 0.4% in January. It rose 2.8% compared to a year ago, as predicted by economists. The report from the Consumer Department comes as the Federal Reserve is considering whether or not to start lowering interest rates. From the Ave Maria Radio.net News Desk, I'm Dan McGraw.
4: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, near Buffalo, New York. We can see the Our Lady of Victory Shrine. It was founded by Father Nelson Baker, who was born on February 16th of 1842. Uh, He he is now uh, venerable, and I want to take some time to get to know him today. This is a name you're probably unfamiliar with, as I was unfamiliar with until I began uh, doing a little bit of reading. Join me to help us become more familiar with Venerable Nelson Baker. We've got Monsignor David Lapuma. He's pastor and rector of Our Lady of Victory National Shrine and Basilica in Lackawanna, New York. You can learn more at OLV, that's Our Lady of Victory, OLV Basilica.org.
5: Monsignor, thanks for joining me. Al, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm very, very grateful.
4: So, Help us understand who
5: uh,
4: Nelson Baker was. He was born February sixteenth, eighteen forty-two. What kind of family did he was was he born into?
5: Yes, he was born here in Buffalo, New York, in downtown Buffalo. His father actually was a German Lutheran who emigrated from Germany, and his mother was an Irish Catholic who emigrated from Ireland. The uh, amazing story is that when he was born, he was baptized Lutheran, and. Uh, he was raised, of course, by both his parents, but his mom would bring him to, to church all the time, to the Catholic Church, and at the age of nine, he asked to be uh, baptized as a Catholic, so he was actually rebaptized at the age of nine as a Catholic, <laughs> uh, wow. this is the light of his mother. Uh, back in the day, they would rebaptize. now we take a profession of faith, but... Um, the influence there, though, is very important to know. He's an amazing, amazing man who lived to be 94, 60 years as a priest. But his early foundation, his father had a general store in downtown Buffalo, and that's where uh, Nelson got his business sense, Father Baker. And he got his faith sense, uh, his deep faith and love for the Blessed Mother, for the Eucharist, uh, from his mom. And it was a combination of both of those things that would form him for the rest of his life. After graduating from uh, public school, uh, and while he was in school, he worked in his father's uh, general store with his three other brothers, and after that, he actually went into the uh, Civil War. He uh, uh, went into active duty uh, for 30 days. Uh, he came back from the Civil War, and a friend of his says, you know, with your business sense, Nelson, let's open a store together. So they opened up a grain and feed store in downtown Buffalo that was very successful. lasted about five years. It was in the midst of that that he joined the St. Vincent de Paul Society in Buffalo, and he was sent out here to what was then called Limestone Hill uh, to assist Father Hines, who was actually the pastor of the parish that was here, St. Patrick's. There was a small orphanage, a small protectory, and he would come and help out bringing food and so forth. And during that time, Father Hines said to Nelson at that time, I believe you have a vocation, Mm. and Father Nelson Baker gave up his business, And he entered the seminary at the age of 27 here at Our Lady of the Angels, which is now Niagara University. And he would go on then to be ordained in 1876. His first assignment would be here with Father Hines to help him. And he spent five years as the curate uh, under him. And then at one point, because things weren't working out, because he had a sense of how the finances would go, but Father Hines was really struggling, he asked for a transfer. And the bishop transferred him for one year. And after a year, a bishop called him back and he said, Father Baker, I need you to go now to St. Patrick's, to the orphanage, to the protectory. I need you to take over the institutions. And so at the age of 40, he came back, and he immediately began to turn things around. He grew the orphanage, uh, working with the Sisters of St. Joseph. He took the bars off the protectory that was a place for troubled boys, and he said, this isn't a prison. This is a place to change these young boys' lives for the better. And he taught them, gave them an education, taught them vocational trades, Uh, They went on to be very successful people in society because Father Baker believed in the goodness of every person. And if they had a chance and were given the right tools, they could live a good and holy life. And he really inspired that faith. And uh, then at one point he noticed that in the early 1900s um, they were dredging the canal and they found body parts of of babies. Mm. And he realized that girls were giving up their babies. And so he prayed to Our Lady of Victory, Our Blessed Mother, that's his patroness. And um, he was inspired, and he opened up the home for unwed mothers, the infant home, in 1908. And women, young girls from all over the country were sent here. They were allowed then to give their babies birth in the hospital that he built, and then the option to give their babies up for adoption. But while they were here under his care, he gave them an education as well, and he changed their lives for the better. And countless, countless babies were adopted out of here, because of Father Baker's great respect for the protection of life. He would go on to open trade schools. Uh, He opened up a working home for boys, a working home for girls, uh, letting them transition back in society. Um, But at the end of all of this, um, not the end of all of it, but uh, in 1916 there was a fire in St. Patrick's Church that they were outgrowing on this limestone hill, And he decided at that point that he was finally going to do the dream that he always had, and that was to build a shrine in honor of Our Lady of Victory. (laughs) And you're probably wondering, well, how did he come to fall in love with Our Lady of Victory? And that's because while he was a seminarian, um, he, two years into it, he got very, very sick with a very rare skin disease. He almost died. They gave him the last rites. The seminarians at the time and the faculty said he was truly an inspiration to them, and through the power of prayer, he recovered. And at that time when he recovered, there was a pilgrimage that was being run for Catholics across the United States to travel over to the great shrines and churches of Europe. And so we asked the bishop at the time and the rector of the seminary if he could go on that pilgrimage to give thanks to God. And so on that pilgrimage, they stopped first in in Paris, France. Uh, He went to Notre Dame like everyone does, but the priest that was running the pilgrimage said, Father Baker, or Nelson Baker at that time, I believe that you would be inspired by this smaller church, Notre Dame de Victoire, and it's over by the Louvre. And he went in there, he knelt down, he looked up at the statue of our Blessed Mother crowned, holding the child Jesus in her hands crowned. He saw the crutches on the wall, he saw all the intercessory miracles around her, and he had this moment where he just was so moved Uh, and this is written in his critical biography, The Father of the Fatherless, that he stood up and he said, I'm going to go back and dedicate the rest of my life, my priesthood, to uh, your patronage and sharing that patronage with everyone. So they went on to Rome at that point. He saw St. Peter's. He was inspired by the magnificence of St. Peter's Basilica. They met the Holy Father. Uh, He comes back then, as I mentioned, got ordained in 1876. But when he, uh, after um, he took over and after all of the wonderful charitable works, all the institutions that he built. It was in 1921 that he was able to lay the cornerstone for this magnificent shrine, and I encourage your viewers to please get on our website, allthebasilica.org, and see for yourselves. There's a drone tour that can take you through the whole place. You'll be amazed because it truly does rival uh, the basilicas and the churches of Europe. Uh, It was when it was built it was the second largest dome in the country next to the Capitol in Washington. Hmm. There are over 40 different types of marble from Italy throughout the basilica. The outside is all white granite from the state of Georgia here. Uh, he finished this basilica in five years, so the first Mass was celebrated on Christmas of 1925, and it was dedicated in May of 1926. And when he went to the bishop at that time, Bishop Turner, to set the date for the consecration, the bishop kind of laughed a little bit at him and said, you know, Nelson, you really have to have the money before it can be consecrated. It's <laughs> got to be paid for it. He said it's completely paid for. <laughs> and, and, uh, but the, the amazing story of how he raised the money for all of this, this is another one of the miraculous stories of his life, and there are many miraculous stories. But when he took over the institutions, he wrote to all the postmasters in the country at the time, and he asked for their Catholic women, Catholic women organizations, And they sent them to him. And he started writing letters to women all over the country. And in the letter, he said, for 25 cents, you can join Our Lady of Victory Association and be remembered in the masses, novenas, and prayers here. And the money started coming in. To this day, we have over 42,000 donors across the country who give because their grandparents, great-grandparents gave. Just recently, uh, this past Monday, I was in Florida, and I met with a fourth-generation donor who's never been here but he, she has a letter from her grandmother to her great grandmother saying, "I can't believe that Father Baker only asked for twenty-five cents." <laughs> and <laughs> it's a powerful story. And today, this day, we continue to shepherd these donors, but we continue to to build on that legacy. And that's what I say. He died in July 29th of 1936, but his legacy did not die with him, but continued on strongly. So the shrine is in. The, we're in the middle of the centennial celebration over these five years casting a, a light on the dome and on the legacy of Father Baker. But the institutions that he began have changed in many ways, but we still take, over, take care of over 12,000 children, family, and youth every year through our OLV Human Services, which is the sixth largest human service organ, uh, provider in western New York. And we have kids that come to us, again, from all kinds of school districts where they can handle them. They come here, we give them an education, we teach them a trade, and really turn their lives around. Uh, and without us, they would be out on the street, and God knows what would happen to them. Oh. I'll tell you, this and is... And continue to do... Yeah, I mean, I'm I, sorry, I mean, then, you should have not, some questions. Nah, no,
4: you, you tell the story so well. Uh, but it, it, it is a story of remarkable genius, virtue, fortitude, resilience, uh, and sustained, sustained um, success, sustained achievement, and I'm. how did he handle the, the stock market crash of October 29? <laughs>
5: well, you know, it's an amazing story. And I say this to everyone, and I, I'm really getting choked up now as I talk to you. When I reflect on his life and every time I share his story, I am so profoundly moved by his deep trust in God's providence yeah. and his deep trust in our Blessed Mother. Because every time someone complimented him, Father Baker, it's wonderful what you're doing. He said, I didn't do it. She did it all. Yeah. And he would point to Our Lady of Victory. And it's a message to all of us when you have, as Jesus said, the faith of a mustard seed, yeah. the size of a mustard seed, what you can do. And he had that kind of faith. And so, you know, after the basilica was, the shrine was finished in 20, uh, um, May of 26, uh, they petitioned Rome at the time, and it was named the second minor basilica in the United States two months later (laughs) um, because of its architectural beauty. And uh, then he lived another 10 years. And to your point, right in the middle of the Depression when it started, he opened up the bread lines, and he started taking care of people. He fed thousands of people through it all. And again, he did it because he just knew he had to do it, and with the fortitude of faith and trust in God, People supported him. They saw his care, his compassion. The other thing he did in the midst of that is the uh, African-American community that was living here in western New York, um, they came to the breadlines, and they said they were just so moved by his compassion and acceptance, no prejudice whatsoever, and they asked him if they could become Catholic. And he started a catechism for 50 uh, black Americans that grew to 500 that grew to him building a church for them. Wow, And this is all that he did till the day that he died <laughs> at the age of 94 and 1936.
4: It's a stunning story, and Monsignor will have to have you back uh, when we have more time. But uh, people sure. can learn more, more at
3: olvbasilica.org. No one should ever have to choose between feeding their family and keeping their heat on. Impossible questions like rent or diapers demand answers every day, likely in your very own neighborhood. But you can help. Hope Clinic partners with you to provide free medical, dental, food, and behavioral health care, all in Jesus' name. While others face impossible choices, your choice is an easy one. Partner with Hope Clinic today. Find out how at www.thehopeclinic.org.
1: Beckway Door is a top provider of garage doors, as well as home entry, patio, and storm doors. Locally owned since 1978, We give free, no-pressure quotes at prices 20% lower than most competitors and often provide same-day service for garage door repairs. Mention Ave Maria Radio for 10% off the replacement or service of your garage door or the installation of new exterior doors. Visit BeckwayDoor.com. That's BeckwayDoor.com.
6: Catholic Connection with Teresa
7: Tamio, weekdays on Ave Maria Radio people think it's easier to stay in the muck the devil that we know is easier than devil we don't know but what they don't realize is that the situation can get worse and what we're seeing now with some of these very liberal orders let's say for example these liberal orders that are dying out especially religious sisters dying out literally folding and then you have the religious orders such as the sisters of Mary mother of the Eucharist the Dominican sisters in Nashville the sisters of life in New York flooded with requests for information and to meet with the sisters about this beautiful life because they're so joyful because they are living the truth of Scripture and the truth of the Eucharist, of Jesus. But these people will not let go because then you have to look yourself in the mirror and then you have to surrender. I think it all goes back to the Garden of Eden. Who's God? Are we God or is God God? Catholic Connection
6: with Teresa Tamio. Weekday mornings from 8 to 10 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. A long time ago, I realized that social media does not lend itself as being a platform for constructive conversations. It actually spurs hatred and divide. A documentary about that subject confirmed what I had already believed. Once I figured this out, I made a concerted effort to be very mindful of what I post and where I post it. Prayer and discernment on the subject led me to God, and Him calling me to share Him on social media, His message, His truth, our faith, and Scripture. So that is what I do, and it's funny because it doesn't take much effort to do so. Posts kind of present themselves to me, like a prayer I read or a song I hear, a feast day on the calendar, an interview I hear on Ave Maria radio, or a gift I've been given. God speaks to me, and I share that message with others on social media. And we're all called to evangelize the faith. And sharing our faith on social media is just one way to do that. This has been a Christ Center Communication Message. I'm Vanessa Denha-Garmo, a communications evangelist and the host of Epiphany.
4: Hi, I'm Al Cresta. The question of gender identity is divisive, controversial, and often painful. How should parents respond to sons and daughters desiring to change their gender? Will the church remain free to teach that we are created male and female? What do the sciences say? We'll find out on March 2nd when Father Gabriel Richard High and Ave Maria Radio host our annual Familiaris Consortio Conference, responding to gender dysphoria in truth and charity. Attorney John Birch takes on gender ideology. Professor of Endocrinology Dr. Paul Hruz covers the sciences. Father Sean Kilcawley speaks as a pastor. And you will bring plenty of questions for our panel. Be there Saturday morning March 2nd from 8:15 until noon at Father Gable Richard High in Ann Arbor. The event is free, includes a light breakfast. So register at avemariaradio.net or fgrhs.org. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta we're coming up on the third Sunday of Lent, and uh, actually there are two different readings uh, prescribed for this coming Sunday, and uh, without going into elaborate detail here, uh, if your parish does not have RCIA, RCIA candidates this year, you are likely going to be hearing the, um, John chapter 2, which is the story of the cleansing of the temple. If your parish does have RCIA candidates this year, then you're going to be hearing the story of Jesus' encounter uh, with the Samaritan woman at the well. And I'd like to focus in on that. Uh, John chapter 4, one of my favorite uh, gospel uh, stories. And uh, I thank the late uh, Presbyterian uh, pastor, Timothy Keller, for his reflections on this, which I have found to be most helpful One of the things to point out uh, when we come to the story of the Samaritan woman at the well is that it follows Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, uh, the Pharisee who sits on Israel's supreme court. So you have this contrast between the Samaritan woman at the well, who is a definite outsider, she's not in the mainstream at all, and it follows Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who is the ultimate insider. You know, he's sitting there on the Supreme Court; uh, he has lots of privileges available to him. So let me uh, let me begin going through this gospel. Jesus is traveling with his disciples through Samaria, and when he gets to uh, the town his disciples leave to get something to eat jesus is weary he's thirsty and at the sixth hour which is actually noon it's in the heat of the day he goes to a well and he has no way of getting water out of the well because he does not have a water jar so he we have this solitary woman who shows up and she's coming there to draw water from the well and he says will you give me a drink the Samaritan woman says to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. And what you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said. I see that you are a prophet. Well, the first thing to notice is that Jesus initiates this conversation, and that, in and of itself, is most unusual. Uh, She is shocked uh, that he's speaking to her because Jews and Samaritans were bitter enemies. It it went back centuries. Uh, Most of the Jews who were exiled to Babylon, um, you know strayed and uh, intermarried with other Canaanites and essentially formed a new tribe called the Samaritans. Um, They took parts of the Jewish faith, you know, the Hebrew faith, and parts of the Canaanite religion, and they created kind of a mix-and-match religion. So the Jews considered the Samaritans racially inferior and theologically inferior inferior, or, if you will, heretics. And that's the first reason she's surprised that he's even speaking to her. But on top of that, it's scandalous for a Jewish man to speak to any strange woman in public. It just uh, it violates boundaries. And then, what's more, is she had come to draw water at noon. And biblical scholars have pointed out that this is not when women come to draw water. They come early in the day, when it wasn't hot yet. So, you know, they could have water for the housekeeping chores that they're doing throughout the remainder of the day. So why is she there in the middle of the day? Well, it's because she was a moral outcast. She didn't have friends. She was an outsider. Even within the Samaritans, she was an outsider. And so when Jesus begins to speak to her, he's reaching across almost every significant barrier that people can put up between themselves, so you have a racial barrier, Jew versus Samaritan, you have a a cultural barrier, you have a gender barrier, you have a moral barrier, and you have of course a theological uh, and religious barrier, Uh, he, a religious Jewish male, should have nothing whatsoever to do with this uh, Samaritan woman, but Jesus is not, um, he's not afraid. He's not afraid of those barriers. He reaches right across them, and she's amazed that he is reaching out to her. and And it's meant to it's meant to amaze us. It certainly amazes the disciples when they return to find him speaking to this woman. Um, something else to keep in mind here is that when he does speak with her, he is clearly open. He's warm, but he doesn't shy away from properly, lovingly, but properly confronting her. And he does so in a fairly gentle and artful way. He begins by saying, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water. And if you drink that water, you will never thirst again. Now that's a tease, if I've ever heard one. What is Jesus talking about? Well, he's speaking metaphorically, referring to living water, what he calls eternal life. And the image is a little bit lost on us because almost everywhere in the United States we've got ready access to drinking water. And we know very little about real thirst. But those who lived in uh, you know an arid climate next to a desert knew a lot about water and knew a lot about thirst. Um So, when Jesus is speaking to her, he's saying this, I've got something for you that is basic and necessary to you. It is as basic and necessary to you spiritually as water is to you physically. Something without which you are absolutely lost. Uh, But the metaphor of living water means even more than that. Jesus is not just telling us that what he has to offer is life-saving it's also revealing that it satisfies from the inside. My water, if you get it, will become in you a new spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's talking about ultimate satisfaction. He's talking about ultimate contentment. He's talking about the peace that passes all understanding. He's talking about knowing God and remaining in union with God. He's saying, I have what will make you ultimately blessed, or if you want to say it, ultimately happy. You know, when we ask people what will really give you a satisfying life, almost always you hear people say, you know, uh, something outside of themselves. uh, uh, Romantic love. If I could just find the right man or right woman, the right career, uh, the right political or social cause, uh, the right amount of money. And all these things are external. And Jesus is saying, I know if you think that you can be satisfied by what is external to yourself, you're going to be in trouble uh, because I have something that's for the inside Jesus says there's nothing outside of you that can truly satisfy the thirst that's deep down there. And he continues, you know, this the, the water metaphor a bit further. You don't need water splashed on your face. You need water that comes from an even deeper well inside of you. And I can give it to you, Jesus says. I can put it into you. I can give you absolute unfathomable satisfaction in the core of your being regardless or what happens outside, regardless of circumstances. I know, something, you know, I think gets in our way of really hearing what Jesus is talking about, and I think it's that most of us aren't able to recognize what our soul thirst is. You know, as long as we think that there's a pretty good chance that we can achieve some of our dreams, as long as we think that we can have a shot at ultimate success well, then we think that we can eventually slake that inner thirst. We'll get there eventually. And by keeping it at a distance, we remain oblivious to how deep that thirst actually goes. And, you know, many people live out almost their entire lives without admitting to themselves the depth of their spiritual search, their spiritual hunger, their spiritual thirst. Everybody's got to live for something. You know, there's a famous old interview with Sophia Loren, the stunning actress from a generation ago, in which she said she had had everything, awards, marriages, but, quote, in my life there's an emptiness that's impossible to fulfill. Everybody's got to live for something. And Jesus is arguing that if he's not your thing, your thing is going to fail you. It'll enslave you, because it'll keep you uh, in pursuit of it, but will always stay outside of reach. And Jesus ends up in this great story, telling the Samaritan woman that he is, in fact, not only what she longs for, but what the human race longs for. The time is coming... He says when there will be no need for a physical temple in order to access God. When the Messiah comes, I am the one.
2: Today's programming on 990 WTEO is brought to you in part by a Gift from our Day sponsor. The annual Rose Mass for Catholic healthcare workers, celebrated by Bishop Boyer, will be at four thirty PM Saturday, March 9th at St. Thomas in Ann Arbor, followed by a reception in the parish hall. Karen Bussey, director of the Mother Teresa House, will speak on redemptive suffering. Suggested free will donation is $20. RSVP at cma.lansing@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's cmalansing at gmail.com.
1: Beacon Skin and Surgeries is a comprehensive dermatology center on the border of Troy and Rochester Hills, south of M-59, and in Livonia. Beacon Skin and Surgeries perform full skin exams and focus on the diagnosis and treatment of all types of skin cancer and precancerous lesions. All are board certified dermatologists and fellowship trained surgeons. Call 248-852-1900. Beacon Skin and Surgeries, a beacon for patient care. 248-852-1900.
3: Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from anxiety, feast on trust, fast from discouragement, feast on hope, fast from acts that tear down, feast on acts that build up. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ.
5: Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live streamed or broadcast mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you.
7: How do we define sin? The Catholic Catechism defines it in detail calling sin an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience, a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor, caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. St. Augustine defines sin as an utterance, a deed, or a desire contrary to the eternal law. It is an offense against God. King David lamented, Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We sin when we love ourselves even to contempt of God. The Catechism points out that sin in all its ugly forms is exercised against Christ during the Passion. Ironically, at this darkest hour, the light of Christ's sacrifice becomes the inexhaustible source for the forgiveness of sin. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
6: My dad, sharp as a tack, but getting him out for a dentist trip got harder every year. When he moved to the senior residence where he lives now, Dr. Mansoor's portable dental service was a godsend. Dr. Mansoor comes to wherever the homebound patient may be, whether in a nursing facility or the comfort of home. All the services you'd expect in a dentist office brought straight to the patient's door. Call 586-873-5567. That's 586-873-5567 or PortableDentalServices.com.
1: At Glass Doctor, our trained specialists are experts at fixing foggy and cracked glass, leaving any residential window looking like new without replacing the entire window. Bring back the view of any window with Glass Doctor. Visit GlassDoctor.com to request a free estimate on repairing your foggy or cracked windows. Let Glass Doctor bring back your view.
6: Call the Glass Doctor, we'll fix your pain. Oh, yeah!
4: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Let me uh, say first of all, sorry about some of the technical glitches from last segment. Uh, Sometimes that kind of stuff happens. And right now, let me introduce you to Nat Wine, who is Vice President of Business Development at Corporate Travel. Our discussion today is occasioned by the National Eucharistic Congress, which is coming up fast. We've got dioceses in Michigan offering special packages But many people have no idea how they can, you know, get those packages. And so Nate, who's Vice President of Business Development for Corporate Travel, has joined me today to help lay out what options are available and what our deadlines are.
3: Nate, good to have you here. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thanks for just sharing the, the good news on the opportunity and this incredible event. Uh, coming to Indianapolis this July.
4: Yeah, I I do think most people keep thinking July, 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 but uh, this is going to be a massive event. And uh, let's talk about uh, what has to be done when. What's our what's our immediate deadline here?
3: Yeah, thanks for the, that ask, Alan. Really, to why I wanted to join you is just to help this clarity because the National Eucharistic Congress team has just been doing a phenomenal job preparing for the event, setting the stage, trying to pull off this citywide, right, 50,000 people to fill Lucas Oil Stadium and Catholics to to come together. And what has been difficult to communicate just because of all the uh, options in Avenues out there is that the dioceses themselves have also invested in this opportunity. They want to bring the community from their diocese, their parishes, and so they have the passes, and they were, you know, they have these hotels, these rooms, and we're just we've packaged it. Our team here at Corporate Travels packaged it all together so to make registration easy transportation from the diocese, so motor coach, uh, flights for those, because we're serving 50 dioceses throughout the country, so if flights are uh, included or a component. And ultimate goal is just to ensure that everyone is aware that this is a checkout. We'll provide our website, Al, to see if we're serving your diocese or contact your diocese, because even if we're not serving them, there may be still opportunity left. But that timeline, to answer the initial question, is March 15th for uh, a major hotel, you know, deadline that is approaching just for the space, given uh, deposits due and uh, policies with the hotels. So if dioceses are going to indeed fill um, the, the space that they have allocated to them, we want to just create that sense of urgency as if you've been discerning the opportunity uh, or have not even been aware and just learning of it now um, to be able to act in the next couple of weeks here.
4: So if people are saying to themselves, well, I'm planning on going with my parish, or I'm planning on going with my diocese, should they be listening to us now?
3: Absolutely. Although, uh, unless they already have their plans arranged, they okay. already have confirmation of a hotel, okay. and they already have their Congress pass. Then, then then, they're set. Okay. The biggest uh, disconnect is just there was a lot of buzz initially in the summer months that there were no hotels, and that's because a lot of the diocese had the held space, and so the diocese now wants to ensure they fill the space that they've had. Um, that's why it's been difficult for individuals to maybe find just a hotel room. Many gotcha. have had to do Airbnbs and what. Yeah, Um yeah. But we have, you know, across those 50 dioceses, we have, you know, space for another 3,000. We're already planning to move 2,000. And the National Eucharistic Congress team, they already have 33,000 passes sold. So in terms of the, oh, hey, is it, are people actually going to be there? Absolutely.
1: Uh, <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> 30,000 uh, passes and their goal is 50,000. There are other opportunities in terms of for those living more locally to do day passes. And I just encourage you to go onto the National Eucharistic, you know, Congress website, anyone listening. And there's other options just um, outside of if your diocese doesn't have, I just want to keep people to be aware of this event um, and act quickly. And of course to know that their diocese may have options available to them. Yeah. So.
4: Well, this is the first National Eucharist to Congress in 83 years. It's a pivotal moment in both American history and the legacy of the Catholic Church. So, uh, as you point out, we're tens of thousands of pilgrims are going to be there. Um, and we know the Lord's going to be there. So, July 17th to 21, Lucas Oil Stadium, Indianapolis, Indiana. And So people would go to, would they go to the corporate travel site first, or should they go to the National Eucharistic Congress site first?
3: Great question, uh, Alan. I'll say both. Okay. (laughs) But uh, in terms of, one, if you're in that category of, man, I really wanted to go, but I don't know who else would go with me, but I'm going to go. I want to be with people. Yeah. That's a perfect example of go to our website. We'll provide that, but I'll read it quickly, which is just pilgrimages by cts.com backslash NEC because all 50 dioceses are listed on that page. So an individual can find the diocese, click that, uh, click it and they will have the package details and the ability to register. Nice. But for content in context of, or, uh, this is the first time hearing about it, or I'd like more, where it's been some time since I've been on the website because the team's been updated, has had a number of updates over the last couple of weeks. More detailed schedule, outlines of the various impact sessions, details and registrations open for breakout sessions. Many of them are already filling. Um, and just more clarity around those revivals. Evenings with praise and worship and adoration and musicians, and what is this? I think there's been a lot of questions like, okay, there's a National Eucharistic Congress. What is the actual week look like? That clarity is now there. So I encourage all to go on to just the National Eucharistic Congress website as well. Okay. So
4: uh, there's going to be all kinds of teaching opportunities and uh, worship uh, opportunities, adoration. Uh, praise and worship um, and that they can learn about all those elements at the National Eucharistic <laughs> Congress website, but uh if they go to pilgrimages by they're going to uh, look for their diocese right, and then correct okay,
3: yeah, because and just select the as uh, you see the diocese listed, then that will be the easiest way to register. For the event, yeah. because on the national, yep. And the only thing to uh, comment on is that after you read that off pilgrimages by cts. dot com, it's backslash nec, just yeah. to make it easier for folks to find uh, this one. Um, but then the actual National Eucharistic website has the the actual schedule for how the week will unfold. Right. Right.
4: Uh, now, I have, so I've got the March 15th date uh, in front of me, and that is a deadline for uh, major hotels. Is that, because I also see a March 25th uh, deadline. So tell me, what's w- w- what am I looking at?
3: Sure. No, I, I love these questions, Al, just because the urgency on the March 15th is, just for hotel uh, availability. But that does not mean that anybody after March 15th wouldn't be able to register. There are going to be, uh, in terms of registration and hotels, there will still be a grace until May 1st that that there's be hotel space at the um, diocesan level. So it's just that the amount of rooms will be in question, just given policies.
4: Okay.
3: So I also want to be clear that hey just if you don't act up by March 15th you can still attend. And so and registration and day passes those will go continue to be on sale. It's really for those who have been discerning the multi-night, four-nights package to do the entire thing um where time is more of the essence for securing space given the hotel situation.
4: Mm-hmm. Now, again, I, I know you mentioned this earlier, but people are going to be saying, okay, uh, I got it, I, hotels have to be reserved. What about travel?
3: Yep. Well, the nice thing, Al, is that with these uh, packages, majority of those 50 dioceses, there's motor either a motor coach or a flight okay. incorporated into the package offering. Very good. So not only uh, transportation to and from the diocese in many cases, not all, but then certainly the daily transportation to and from the hotel to the conference center and Lucas Oil Stadium. Very good.
4: Now, is there still time for people to get close to the events? Are they going to be, you know, away from, way, you know, I mean, sometimes these things go half hour, an hour away from the site.
3: Yes, Um yeah exact part of the uh the urgency of this conversation and that March fifteenth deadline is that majority of these rooms that we're discussing are within the half an hour and that between downtown and thirty uh minutes to, from outside the city. yes, there are a few select dioceses that are further out um but the majority of those that we're serving we are within the you know half hour radius
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh but if you were to go on that is you know difficult if you were just out searching trying to find hotel space uh just given the d- demand and the numbers they're expecting
4: okay so we need to get uh, we need to get on the uh on the on the uh, mark here and uh, we've got major hotels have to be reserved March fifteenth. That's our best bet. Is that you get the best price too by registering by Indeed. March fifteenth?
3: Yeah, correct. Well, because a lot of these uh, contracts set with the hotels, there was a set rate that was you know much better than the uh, current rates if you were to just go online. So because uh, those are, have been held, and so we have the space, we have to release that space. If people don't sign up, okay, yeah, yeah. Again, this is important. So, yeah, better price for sure.
4: So uh, you you want to get uh, you know immediately. What you want to do is get to pilgrimages by backslash nec pilgrimages by backslash nec, and then you'll look for your diocese there uh, on that list. If people are interested in the actual programs, the content, uh, the agenda, the itinerary, what's going on there, they would go to the um, National Eucharistic Congress website for that.
3: Correct. And that is just eucharisticcongress.org. Eucharisticcongress.org. Wow. And that would also be for those who, you know, hey, I have a sister who lives in Indianapolis, so I'm going to stay with her, but would love to just get a pass for a day or two or for the week. And you can register individually um, more as like a family, just direct through the NEC. Okay. We're really just helping facilitate those that um, are going to be traveling at this diocese. And part of the emphasis, too, is so much of the uh, the impact after this event is going to be what we do as we go forth Mm -hmm. and having that community and having those uh, companions along the journey from your diocese to then have to come back and be resources i think is just crucial
4: yeah very good very good nate we'll talk again uh but people have to act now uh this deadline march 15th is what we're focusing on today Pilgrimages by cts.com slash NEC. We'll talk again, Nate. Thanks.
3: Thanks, Al. God bless you. Greetings, brothers in Christ. I'm Bishop Earl Boyer, inviting you to the Accept the Challenge Catholic Men's Conference on March 16th at the Girvan Game Above Center in Ypsilanti. We've lined up incredible, nationally renowned speakers, Justin Fatika, Doug Barry, and our very own Father Joe Krupp. There will also be mass, confessions,
4: and a wide variety of Catholic ministries to help you grow as a man of God. Visit
3: acceptthechallenge.org to register today.
0: Food for the Journey's Sister Ann Shield. You no, know, we would avoid a lot of difficult arguments, and just spouting off at the mouth, as we sometimes say. Just ask the Lord, give me the words to say. Maybe I'm rightfully angry, but if I just shout and yell and scream, what good is that going to be? Brothers and sisters, God can give us much more control over our anger, over our fear, over our language. And so whenever you're in a tight spot, just stop for a moment and say, Lord, what would you have me do here? God is good. I don't mean he's going to say words that will come down from heaven. But if you pause just for a moment, you'll get hold of yourself. And you may well get a thought that you didn't have before. And sometimes it's just quiet, but it's enough to bring down the steam. And then you think what is really right to say here. You might be justifiably angry. How do we respect the other person while we're correcting them. Please, brothers and sisters, let us open our hearts to God in those moments.
1: Sister Ann Shields gives you food for the journey, weekday mornings at 645 and again at 1130 on 990 Ave Maria Radio.
4: Good afternoon. I'm Al Presta. We've got another hour ahead of us. Dr. Matthew Bunsen joining me in this next hour, we will be taking a look at some re- remarkable and, and I have to say, a number of strange stories on my list for Matthew uh, today. Um, that in in Italy, there was an attempt. It, it appears as though there was an attempt to poison a priest. The chalice that he was using for mass had been. Um, Uh, left with bleach in it. And so, uh, true, laboratory analysis confirmed that somebody had poured bleach into the liturgical vessels. Now the police are looking into it, uh, but it's worth uh, pointing out. And there have been a number of stories recently that indicate to me that uh, opponents, enemies of the church are doing engaging in activities that are meant to discredit or demoralize us, or somehow to undermine the moral legitimacy of the Catholic faith. There's not only that story, but uh, you've got stories of abusing uh, funeral masses and funeral services, but we talk it over with Matthew coming right up.